Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen at snc.tv and local now channel 525 you've heard am you've heard fm now tune into dm radio the world's longest running show about data each week host eric cavanaugh interviews the brightest minds in the world of information management want to be on a show send an email to info at dmradio.biz now here's your host eric cavanaugh Oh, yes, ladies and gentlemen. Hello and welcome back once again to the longest running show in the world about data. It's called DM Radio. Yours truly, Eric Cavanaugh here. And folks, I'm so excited today to have a world announcement, a world first announcement of very cool stuff that's happening. And it's remarkably timely. It's kind of funny how these things happen sometimes serendipitously. We're going to talk about introducing authentic intelligence powered by Vogon. My good buddy Sean Brem is with us from CrowdPoint Technologies. And I'll just say a couple words at the top of the hour here. Last two shows uh, on DM Radio and Inside Analysis, we've been talking about large language models, LLMs as they're called, uh, the acronym, like ChatGPT, for example, is OpenAIs, Google has BARD, uh, GitHub has Copilot, Databricks rolled out Dolly. So these things are all over the place and they're just taking the world by storm, but they are generative. So there's this concept of hallucinations, which I think is kind of funny. And no, they're not talking about their college days when they're having fun. No, hallucinations are when these large language models fuse together different components of information to generate something new. But the point is they can just make stuff up. So when you go to these big enterprises now and they're all looking into large language models, well, companies like Databricks and OpenAI and others are talking about how you can train the models to get them accurate. So you basically look for the hallucinations and then you tell, oh, no, don't do that. This is actually what it should be. And that's great, but there's going to be a lot of training necessary. And do we really have to go down that path? So the folks at CrowdPoint, we've had them on the show a couple of times now. You may recall they have this very interesting technology called Vogon. Yes, it's from A Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy uh, called Vogon. It's a blockchain, but it's also a database. And they're building marketplaces on top of that, just like an Amazon, basically. And what they're doing is they've come up with this concept of crowd units. It's C-R-W-D-U-N-I-T is a crowd unit. And it's basically a currency of some sort, if you will. You use it as a credit to buy power on the blockchain, on their system to run your apps, to get analytics or whatever. And now they've, this is the big announcement, they've actually managed to securitize this. It's an SEC filed offering. They've securitized it with $20 million in silver. But what's this authentic stuff all about? Well, basically in the crowd unit world inside the ecosystem that CrowdPoint Technologies underpins and runs, you're going to have all this authentic intelligence possible because it's not generative. It's not that they're making stuff up based upon the corpus of text in the internet from what before the year 2022 or whatever it is for ChatGPT. No, no, no. This is authentic intelligence because it's drawing upon real information of trusted parties with federated IDs. So this is all a bunch of stuff I just threw at you, and we'll bring Sean in to kind of comment on this. But you know, first let's talk about Sean. You know a fair amount about these large language models. You taught yourself Hadoop for crying out loud. Uh, Hadoop yeah. is not the easiest thing in the world. MapReduce. <laughs> uh, you caught a lot of bad guys in years past uh, in the Middle East and other places by being able to code and really understand these big data technologies. And so you've kind of seen this stuff coming and you've been running a different track here, building yeah. out CrowdPoint to be this authentic intelligence engine. Tell us real quick about that. Yeah, so as you said, my background, I spent tons of time in, in big data, big data analytics, uh, former IBMer, did a lot of great things inside the uh, Department of Defense. I'm also a former military officer, so I spent some time in, in big data. You know, the biggest thing you discover uh, is when you try to discover hidden insights. The biggest lesson I've learned in my professional career is that you have to let the data find the data and the user find the relevance. But when it comes to data, you have to also look at governance and pedigree. You have to say, where is this data source coming from? Certainly, yeah. you look at 
you know, especially the past life I lived in, you know, you didn't, you didn't put a bunch of guys in a helicopter unless you could identify the source, you could identify the pedigree around it and then confirm it several times. Uh, and once you could confirm that, then you knew you had a good data set, you could move forward. Unfortunately, we don't sometimes in the commercial world run at such a high uh, fidelity and pedigree process. And so when you think about, you know, big data, if, if you've not configured your approach to let data find the data and the user find the relevance, and you use the context of, of artificial intelligence, and we're going to talk about the difference between artificial versus authentic, um, you're seeing today this, this uh, ability of, of artificial intelligence. And I used to tell people, friends of mine who were you know, fellow troglodytes, they say, Sean, you know, you've gone into this AI. What, is, what does that mean? And I said, well, artificial intelligence is real simple. It's about taking hardware technology and software technology and mimicking human behavior. Mm-hmm. You just have to determine which mim- human you want to mimic. So when you look at the idea of generating uh, new content, and that's what generative is, it's about generating new content, like images, text, or even even music we're we're seeing now. Uh, That essentially resembles, or here's the word to think about, imitates human-based created content. So you look at, okay, well, how well can you imitate somebody? I mean, certainly I I can do a really good imitation of an English accent. I can do an imitation of many things, but, you know, it's not authentic. Right. Doesn't make it real. Yeah, exactly. So generative AI models uh, are trained on, first of all, let's be clear, on vast amounts of existing data and to learn it. But if you don't have the efficacy of the data that you're training on, I was reading recently one of Facebook's large language models where it says, hey, we apologize for all the cursing. Like, okay, it's authentic, but... Is it deterministic? In other words, has someone gone through and said, someone basically said, you know what? Um, I'm thinking of something really abstract. Jupiter is really uh, a, a base for uh, the, the survivors of Atlantis. Right? So they make this thing up, right? And they, well, has that been really authenticated? And so what happens is when that's in the, when that's somewhere in the Kapora or body of data, you know, that that gives a pivot point. The other thing you need to understand is that when you start creating generative AI, you know, concepts kind of coagulate like as vectors. So when you're looking at trying to triangulate, you know, known data versus unknown data, I, I may be in a, in a section that's kind of new and unknown. Well, if the vectors themselves aren't strong, then you can take yourself off course. Let me give a simple example. You know, um, you know, I, I used to be an infantryman. And so if we ever got con- lost and we didn't have a GPS, we know we could go off a new two known points. I could say, well, there's a mountaintop there. And I could basically shoot an azimuth to it and say, well, here's a 180 degree back azimuth. There's a, there's a, there's a mountaintop there. I can shoot a 180 degree azimuth and I could create an, a, a resection. I could figure out exactly where I was. But if you don't have a solid foundation of mountaintops in your data, then those new outputs are based upon patterns or structures that could be flawed. So that's why this concept of generative AI suffers from what we call hallucinations or, right. or produce unrealistic outputs due to certain limitations or, you know, lack of validity in the vectors. So here's, a, here's what I thought I'd do is kind of give some examples of why uh, technology today, especially artificial intelligence, can, can experience uh, hallucinations just just in uh, in simple concepts so our listeners can understand. And then yeah. that will help explain why what we're doing is unique. So for example, there's a concept called overfitting. Um, mm-hmm. If a generative AI model is overfit to the training data, it struggles to essentially generalize and, and produce realistic outputs. So when does that occur? Well, overfitting occurs when a model becomes too focused on the specifics of the training data. So you can basically, you, you don't, if you understand the broader picture or the broader context, then you can get super high, hyper isolated and you can make, you, you create problems. Well, that's, the, that's one end of the spectrum. Then the other problem you get into is this concept of contextual understanding. So if you don't have deep understanding of contextual knowledge, like one of the things I love is these RDF frameworks, these knowledge frameworks, it kind of gives you an ontology, you know, kind of like a, a Dewey decimal system, like you saw in a library mm. car of, of contextual knowledge. Uh, so they can learn statistical patterns from the data, but they really struggle to understand the semantic and, and semantic is, you know, how we define things. I love it when people get in arguments, like, oh, someone always will say, well, that's just semantics. And, you know, and whenever right. he says that to me and he goes, well, you're right. That, that Those are important because they're how I define things. So right. if we don't 
how things are defined, then all of a sudden you get this nonsensical or even uh, hallucinatory outputs that really lack coherence or relevance. I did one the other day that was mind-boggling. Then the other problem thing we have is um, data bias. And data bias is something you have to look out for because for years we've been able to get a data source, especially if you look at anything from counterintelligence to open source intelligence or Mm. just data sets. Believe it or not, here's the thing that's going to blow your mind. People lie, (laughs) right? (laughs) And what happens is sometimes sometimes (laughs) people have opinions that are based on their political beliefs or their religious beliefs or their or their ideological beliefs or or religious beliefs so what happens is that bias creeps in and and those ai models are are highly dependent on training data exposed to if you really want to if you really want to find out how it's biased if you come from one particular perspective uh in, in your in your up, upbringing and lifestyle you can ask chat GPT some questions and you're going to disagree with them because you're going to see a, a bias. Sometimes it's not only bias, but it becomes bias because it's incomplete or just has flat out erroneous inaccuracies in it. And right. this, this contributes to hallucinations. And, yeah. and that, now we're just, we're, 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 we're like, then, then we get the really cool stuff. The final one, which is unseen examples. Like, like what happens if you have this rare unseen example of data set, something that's never, it's the poisson. It's the different one. Well, here's the thing I've learned through my whole life. It's the aha moments that really mean the most. And so what happens is if you, if you have these new unseen contexts where there's a lot of them, then it doesn't know how to treat it as a unique piece of data. So mm-hmm. now you take all of those challenges, you know, and you've got a ton of problems. And a lot of us, have been saying for quite some time that large language models are not such a good idea. In fact, I think you and I talked earlier this week. I mean, people, I think listeners might be surprised to, uh, to hear about the article you read about the yeah. CEO. Yeah, that Sam Altman himself said that the age of large language models has passed and we have to move on. And I think it's because they're seeing what you and I are seeing, which is these hallucinations. I mean, just to put things in context, I did. Uh, I had a, a webinar a while ago, and someone did a chat GPT on me and posted in the chat what it said, and it was very accurate. But then I did it myself maybe a week later, and it said that I'd written three books or something, and I've not written any books, at least not yet. So, I mean, that's not an insignificant inaccuracy. I mean, that's a pretty significant error that this thing is making. And, and so it really... Uh, behooves all of us to appreciate what these engines are and what they do. Yes, they are very good at generating text. They're very good at generating images and other things, but that doesn't make them authentic. It doesn't mean that what you're reading is accurate, trusted, or deterministic, or even real at all. And so it's very interesting. I think that's why Sam Altman was saying, oh, yeah, well, you know, it's the, this day has passed because they're looking beyond it and looking for ways to supercharge search, for example, with Bing. I mean, there is going to be a lot of good stuff that comes out of this, but it, it is unwieldy. And if you're an enterprise, if you're a large organization, even a small company, quite frankly, you can't really take chances with getting stuff wrong. And, you know, I think about... um how it makes this stuff up. Yes, you can train the model over time, and that's what people are going to be doing. But why would you go down that road if you can choose another path, which is to have trusted information, to be deterministic, and to leverage the trusted information from your own environment, your first-party data, if you will. And that's what CrowdPoint is doing, correct? You, You have, so just to explain to folks, CrowdPoint built a blockchain, but it doubles as a database. So it's not just a blockchain, which, as my British partner once joked, is a really slow database. But now (laughs) they've got a faster database. And you've got some other very interesting things going on in here. But the point is that the foundation upon which this intelligence is then generated is trusted, is real, because your, your vetted users whose identities are federated, this is also an important part, and then their buying behaviors are represented by a token. So think about how these, uh, how these, the EMFs, or what, are the, what do they call them? The, uh, they're tokens that kind of float around, and uh, people were trading them and doing all these different things. But what's cool with you guys is that you've created this digital twin of the federated ID, and that's where the buying purchase, the purchasing details and the preferences are on there. So the user can get highly targeted information to them without revealing who they are to the marketplace. Is that about right? Yeah, hundred percent. When we started this, um, you know, we were like, 
our North star has to be the human identity. And, and as you know, I've been doing some podcasts in which you and I, what, what I love about DM radio is because I, I've been saying for years, <laughs> I'm not the only ones, obviously, you know, data is the new oil, but if data is the new oil and information is the rocket fuel that powers the global economy, how come we aren't getting paid for our raw material? And, and, and it looks like I was ahead of my time because now there are class action lawsuits right. coming out saying precisely the same thing against ChatGPT and OpenAI, which is they took all this raw material, they refined it with some hallucinogenics involved, a little bit of mushroom here and there. And <laughs> now all of a sudden, you've got people saying, wait a minute, the, the, the information that you came from by refining my raw material and I didn't give you access to my oil well. And so what I tell everybody is everyone listening on this call today doesn't realize something and they maybe it's been suppressed or maybe they didn't care, but they should. All of us, you know, are, are data tycoons and we generate quintillions amounts of data each day, quintillions. And, and we should be recognized and there should be some kind of at least barter for that. And that's, that's really kind of, the, you know, the, the premise behind why data is so important, why you actually named a show after it and why we built this foundation. And our logic behind this was having done so much in AI in the past and, and knowing where open AI was going, we knew from day one that open AI was going to suffer from a couple of issues. Number one, it was going to suffer from long-term memory. In other words, when you ask it a question, you know, it's not going to remember the, not going to remember the answer. First of all, and it's cost prohibitive when you think about it to store everybody's questions, right? Mm -hmm. so, so now what they do is they give you a user interface where you kind of have to remember your own questions. And then yet people are now creating entire ecosystem models like Pinecone are creating where you're actually storing your results. So now you can at least get your results, but then you've got another problem of indexing. And then, you, then, then, you, then you've got all, another problem, which is this data sprawl problem, right? Like you've got all this data sprawl where all these flat files are being generated and, and, and they're using these huge flat files. It's so for those of you who don't understand what I'm saying is, you know, if you ever looked at a, a CSV file or a text file, it's just rows and rows that are all mashed together with no beginning and end. And so we said, we saw that was going to be a problem. And we also saw, well, how, how do we also make sure that we don't get into this hallucinogenics? And right. so what we do is figure out, you know, let, let's create structure, build, structure and flexibility. So we used a technology or a format called JSON, which is a JavaScript object notation. And that gave us the ability to start putting hierarchical structure in there. That allows us to nest and organize data. There's your, your library card, Dewey Decimal kind of concept. So we can, right. we can create a more flexible way compared to the way they're doing it right now. The other thing it can do is it can represent complex data structures with objects and arrays. And that, that's a whole other session, but it really makes it suitable for representing diverse and multidimensional nature of data. And it yeah. gets, allows us to break those into like smaller learning modules, what I like to call ontological learning modules. And yeah. now what you've got is you've got the ability to sit there and say, I know there's data in a relational database. The world's running on relational databases. Yeah, we'll and pick this up after the break. Stand by, folks. We'll be right back. He's on a roll. <laughs> Don't touch that dial. We're listening to DM Radio. Welcome back to DM Radio. Here's your host, Eric Kavanaugh. All right, folks, back here on DM Radio and Technologies. We're talking about this big news that's come out. Crowd units are real. It is an SEC filed security, and it's backed by silver. But right before the break, Sean, you were on a bit of a roll here talking about how you're using JSON, which uh, I heard someone once say is the JPEG of data, which I yeah. love. Yeah. And you're using that to be able to accurately represent all the different shapes and constructs in the world. So it's not just a giant flat file. I mean, people in the in the BI industry, in the data industry, understand that you can have things like nested tables, for example. You can have lots of different uh, structures inside your data that you want to be able to capture. Um so that's very, very interesting. But you also have this relational database component as well. So it's not just blockchain. It's blockchain and a relational database, right? Go ahead and explain that too. 
Yeah, so what we did is when we started this, this vision, we realized, look, the blockchain, uh, we, we got into it by accident. Uh, we, our original intent was we were trying to build something that was on everybody's laptop where you could actually check your own data and it would run local analytics. We were building it on, uh, on a, a really powerful virtual machine. And what we discovered was the amount of data when we started doing our trials was one, we not only had to be in the data analysis business on at the endpoint or on your laptop or on your machine, we also had to get into the cybersecurity business because, you know, and, and we had to get the, the optimization because as we were running tests on commercial, on consumer laptops, they were horrible. I mean, I don't know how some people survive based on because they don't maintain normal hygiene on their laptops. And so they ran extremely slow. And then we said, you know what, we've got to take this to, we got to take this to the cloud. And then we were like, well, then we're just creating another problem. We're putting it in the big tech clouds. So that's not going to work. So my, my business partner, I, I did a release yesterday on this. He says, well, let's take a look at the blockchain. He'd been, he'd been an investor in blockchain and I dabbled in it, but not paid much attention to it. And then we discovered the blockchain had a huge problem, which was, you're spending an inordinate amount of energy to generate two hashes, but the data itself that the block that the hashes represent are just a regular relational database, which means so you could change the database, but you could, even though the hashes are immutable, the data wasn't. You say, well, that's problematic. So we decided to combine a blockchain with a database and the database based on JSON. But when we started building our AI, because that was really our vision from day one, we were an AI company, was well, gosh, if not every business is going to immediately move over to a immutable and transparent distributed ledger, distributed database. So we started integrating our technologies within relational databases so that if you had Oracle or MySQL or IBM's DB2, whatever database you had, Hmm. we could talk to that database, have a conversation with your database instead of a traditional query, and then be able to paste those results in a JSON format in your own data lake. So it becomes authentic intelligence. So everybody has their own private repository and then using these concepts of data sharing through central counterparty clearinghouses, you can actually share the analytic results to the community, but still keep everything hidden as far as, as the actual content. And so that led us naturally to trying to mimic the structure that you might see in a traditional database with a, a new kind of data lake. and we'd used JSONs in my past at IBM. So I said, well, let's just go with JSONs because as you, as you know, uh, and most readers, uh, listeners, if they were just to ask their 16 year old kid, what a JSON file is, they would know. Right. I mean, <laughs> I think you learn that pretty much in, in high school or grammar school. Now, most, most kids are starting to learn how to program using this, 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 this format. Yeah. Uh, well, and you have what the, the key here is you have, a closed circuit and you have a walled garden basically and inside this walled garden you have users who register maybe they sell products maybe they're buying products and the idea is that all of that activity is then tracked and captured and the behavior is captured but again as i mentioned earlier you you know you don't uh reveal who's who in the marketplace and that protects your privacy that protects your the sanctity of you of your id but your your preferences do kind of float around uh, with this digital twin. But the point is that everything being captured in that environment can then be leveraged by the users, either at some scale or just individually trying to do some analysis. And then what do you get over time? You get various indices on things. So you can right. start tracking how much product X is being sold, and you can do these dynamic groupings to get purchasing power and things of this nature. Maybe just walk us through some of the the capabilities that this system has, which separate it from an Amazon or a Walmart or some of these other more traditional environments. Yeah, perfect. So certainly what we have in common with all the other uh, cloud providers is we, we are able to support a full enterprise class application. But what we've done that's really unique is we plugged in our AI into your traditional company. So most companies are not going to move immediately to a decentralized cloud powered by a massive data lake of JSON files. Although some some larger enterprise companies, especially people in the intelligence community and the military have experienced this and would understand it, but not many commercial companies have gone to this, would, would go to this model. So how do you create a hybrid? Well, the first thing you have to do is you have to introduce the customer in the concept of saying, well, if you know that the lineage and governance and provenance of your data is factual, 
then what happens is you don't have to worry about artificial intelligence. You can create collective intel intelligence first. And the collective intelligence is where you take data from your from all the members of your ecosystem inside your company or external to your company, and you each have your own private data lakes. And then what happens is when you combine them, that becomes a collective intelligence. But because you understand the governance, the lineage, and the pedigree of where the data came from, it becomes authentic intelligence. Let me tell you why. Because the way, the way our technology works is that when we transform your existing data or incoming data into a JSON file, we actually use something called deterministic concurrency. And, and deterministic concurrency says, wow, the majority has to agree that the stuff is real and factual. But then we sprinkle in something really interesting. And I, and I know you're, you love this already, is we also make sure that when you bring it in, it doesn't violate the three principles of Isaac Asimov, right. right? And that's really important. And it surprised me. Like I was one of the lone voices when Elon Musk came out and said, whoa, flag on the play. I think we should wait six months. When you look at this, no one is... First of all, no one is using deterministic concurrency or anything like that to validate it. They're merely relying upon a large language model to discern whether or not. So now you've got a baseline system that's essentially hallucinogenic by sometimes honestly entering data into that environment. I think the, the authors of the data might have been a little hallucinogenic, right? So between the two of those, you've got bad meets bad. And then, you know, you can use you can use technologies like ChatGPT to write a really malicious malware if you want you can write some malicious code in this thing so if you create a system that's authentic and it puts the human identity first as a north star and you're using enterprise class approaches and you're leveraging the power of existing trillion dollar industry with relational databases allowing them to bring that into a format that allows them to create this collective intelligence which essentially is authentic because you're able to protect it unless you decide to share it, you know, you get a lot more deep insights without kind of uh, donating to the cause of, uh, of open AI. Well, right. Or risking the hallucination, risking the potential that it just made something up that isn't real at all. I mean, you, you can't base your business decisions on risky information. I mean, that's what the whole BI industry is all about. That's why we have data governance. That's why it's such a big deal. That's why we have security. That's why we build data warehouses. We want them to, to show accurately what the real information is, not some theory. So, that, you know, the generative side, it's just funny because all this effort is now being put in to, to these models to train and retrain, fine tune the training of them to not do what are what would be damaging hallucinations. But why would you even go down that road when you have this other alternative of solving it in a more traditional, let, let's be honest, way using, as you call it, authentic intelligence? And it's funny, you know, in this show, I just had someone tell me uh, who was on the show last week or the week before. He said, I, I presume you know that your theme song is the title track from the movie Repo Man. And I was like, yeah, trust me, I know. <laughs> that was the whole idea. Like, and that was that went way into it. And Bob Muglia, of course, who was the CEO of Snowflake uh, for, for quite a long time. He's Great now technology. doing some other things. But, yeah. Oh, I mean, he's very, very, very smart guy. He brought up Isaac Asimov's rules. And when I heard it, I was like, oh. I remember that from Repo Man because, you know, yeah. a robot may not injure a human being or through inaction allow a human being to come to harm. Well, yep. in Repo Man, you got this great scene where Harry Dean Stanton says to Emilio Estevez, I will not harm any vehicle nor the personal contents thereof, nor through inaction allow any vehicle or the personal contents thereof to come to harm. It's when I call the Repo Code, kid. It's just kind of funny, you know, that they yeah. wove that in. But that's what we're talking about here. And so in the Vogon blockchain, in this ecosystem, you have embraced Isaac Asimov's rules for robots and yeah. and in doing so put in very powerful guardrails to protect us from these things going awry because the, you know the more powerful AI gets traditional AI the more dangerous it can be unless you have guardrails baked in and of course for those who've used ChatGPT, if you ask it certain questions, let's say, oh, as a large language model, I can't do X or Y, those are the guardrails. So they've built those in. And, and I remember when it went over to Bing and there was, oh, you know, the New York Times article getting all upset about things, asking it, you know, telling it it wants to get married to it. And the ChatGPT told him <laughs> to leave his wife and all this stuff. And it's like, you know, for, first of all, 
that is a misuse of the tool. Okay. He's trying to figure out, is it sentient? It's not sentient. Okay. It's a large language model. It is not sentient, but this happens in, in the media, but you know, to kind of take this back to what you're announcing today, and we've got to get into the silver in the next segment yeah. here, we can kind of tease it, but uh, these crowd units and this whole blockchain enabled ecosystem where you built your own blockchain using JSON as a structure to interface with relational databases, thus giving you the best of all these different worlds. You've got yeah. the, you've got the certitude, you've got the determinism. And the other thing you said that was really interesting, uh, we've got about three minutes before the next break here about these large language models is that uh, they're not, they're not embrace or they're not, appreciating entropic models and entropy do you know entropy yeah can you explain quickly why that matters yeah so when you look at when you get it when you get it um when you get it large amounts of data uh entropy is is a really important uh a concept so like for example in the old days we would we would uh we would take you know all this data and we would bin and sort it so we'd sit there and say okay Give me the frequency of all the concepts. Uh, give me the distributions of those concepts. Tell me when they co-occur with other concepts. Tell me when they diverge from others. These are all natural analytic statistics. Uh, but the concept of of entropy is when you look at it's called it's you know the, when you look at information theory entropy it, it refers to the average amount of information or uncertainty contained in random variability. And what you want to do is you want to you want to you want to kind of normalize, kind of create the slope that normalizes the randomness. Because when you look at random, when you remove randomness, you get some of this potential hallucination. So high entropy indicates higher randomness or uncertainty. Lower entropy means lower uncertainty. So what you want to do is canalize. I love that word. It's, you know, from my fellow, fellow former infantry officers out there. You want to canalize the, 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 the craziness down to you know their schwerpunkt, this simple point in time that's real easy to, to that, that, that everything else bounces off of. And what happens is if you have these wide rails, you said it yourself, if you have these wild rails and you have more wackiness in the data, but if you run entropic models on it and you and you canalize it and you make it smaller, then that kind of noise, signal to noise ratio gets smaller, thereby creating a more cogent conversation. That's very interesting. Yeah. And again, just to get back to explaining to our audience why this matters, why this authentic intelligence is very different from the artificial intelligence that we're seeing from the large language models. And it is because of the authenticity of the data, because you baked into your environment rules that govern authenticity and that shepherd you toward authenticity. So the determinism is key, for example, and the fact that you're only pulling from the environment. And there's plenty of data to pull from an environment. If you've got a marketplace where you're selling all kinds of widgets and th and things, there's a tremendous amount of data. You and I both know that observability is the big trend these days. Why is that? Well, it's partially because of Google and Kubernetes changing how enterprise software gets built and yep. opening all sorts of kimonos that then have <laughs> to be closed or managed or figured yep. out. I mean, that's what observability is all about. But if you have a closed system and if you use these rules, these basic rules to govern, then you largely rule out the hallucinations. You largely rule out the potential security breaches and other things, right? Real quick. 100%. I mean, two things I want to count on. First of all, on the security side, if you decentralize and spread it out, really hard to hack. Second of all, with we measure everything in life. We measure how long our phone conversations are. We measure how much money we make. What? Here's a concept. Why don't we just measure the randomness of our thoughts? <laughs> wow. Why don't we just measure it? So the good thing is, I want each and every, every listener to walk away with this one thing today. You are a data tycoon and you're <laughs> giving away your wealth. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's so. Uh, this is that's a good thing to to pick up on. So we're going to come back. We're going to talk more about silver here in a minute. But folks, we're talking to Sean Michael Brem from CrowdPoint Technologies. The Vodon blockchain is live. It's operating. It's running right now, doing amazing things. And we're going to talk about my favorite concept here: hi ho, silver away. We'll be right back. You are listening to DM Radio. Welcome back to DM Radio. Here's your host, Eric Cavanaugh. 
All right, folks, back here on DM Radio, a very special show today, talking to my good buddy, Sean Michael Brem of CrowdPoint Technologies. We're talking about the Vogon blockchain and database and the marketplaces built on top of them. And uh, there was some really big news that uh, you've been working on for a while here, Sean. And, you know, you explained to me, and I've learned a lot from you already about markets and commodities and how these things work and this whole concept of an alpha. And so what these folks at CrowdPoint have done is they've built a, a blockchain ecosystem. It runs marketplace just like an Amazon or a Walmart or, or one of these things. But everything is captured inside. You've got this federated uh, I- identification because everything comes from the data that your users will benefit from, right? It's a big part of the equation here. But then what you did that's very interesting is you securitized the offering with silver. So you've got a commitment of $20 million, I think you said, of silver, which underpins the value of the crowd units. So if you think about Bitcoin, there's no alpha to Bitcoin. There's no tangible thing. It's just speculation as to what it is worth today. Of course, it's worth $30,000 of Bitcoin as of last night. That's interesting how that's, you know, still going along and doing fine and people are just trying to forget about no it. No utility. Yeah. But there's no, that's right. And so this is a utility token, which means there is a purpose to the, to the token itself. It provides a service, which in your case, of course, is this marketplace, this ecosystem, then yeah. analytics and AI and all these other things. Yeah. But tell us about the importance of securitizing this offering with silver for stability. Yes. The first thing you did is those of you who don't know this, um, those who are technical know this, is all the major cloud providers today have you buy credits each month. And those credits is you pay in dollars. Right. What you just pay each month, how much storage and how much computational stack you've leveraged. And they use this resource value kind of calculation on the back end. And then they say, okay, here's how many credits you need to pay for. So you can pay for them in advance and you get a discount or you can pay for them at the end of each month. But essentially you're buying credits. So the big idea, and, and, and I was releasing a podcast on this week, is uh, our, our, my partner, and, and he's the president of our company, I act as the CEO, and he said to me, hey, Sean, I've got an idea. Why don't we create real utility around credits? Why don't we go ahead and file with the SEC and make a share, a security that you have to purchase in order to pay for the credits on the cloud. Now, this is really interesting because what you're doing is you're creating constant momentum in the in the movement of the stock. It's going to constantly impact the stochastic value because every time someone buys it, you're buying against the total authorized and the amount of in, uh, issued goes up. And so you have a stochastic increase in value. But what if you collateralize that by silver? Well, what that does is that actually gives you a hedge position. This is something really unique because what it essentially does, it's very similar to what we did until 1917, until the wee hours of midnight when we, when we instituted the Federal Reserve. The, we, we had a silver certificate. Most Americans don't know that silver yeah. dollar was backed by silver. Right. And then that changed. Um, so what, what, if, what, if you had a, what if you had a security that you filed that was SEC filed, and then you said, well, we're going to come along and we're going to create a relationship with a, with, a, with a mine. And that took about a year to do. And we announced last year we were launching this. So exactly a few days before July 4th, the day we, where we announced last year we were doing this, we, we, secured, we were able to secure our contract with a mine. And so now what that means is we're able to collateralize or provide you a guaranteed hedge against your investment. So instead of a third party doing the hedge, you have an embedded hedge. Now, what that creates is essentially an alpha. An alpha in finance is some level of guaranteed return. And that's pretty powerful. So what you get is you get this bouncing back and forth as as more people pay for our uh, our cloud, use of crowd units. That means that the total amount of the difference between the issued and authorized starts to decrease, just like Bitcoin. So what ends up happening is you have an implied value that's stochastic based on what the market and what the market thinks the 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 success will be. That that's speculative. Right. And what you do is you follow behind it with a hedge that's not speculative because it's it is collateralized. By silver, and so we have a contract where we took our first tranche of twenty million in. We you can go to crowdunit.com, c r w d unit.com now, and actually purchase those. It's an SEC filed security, and then we have an agreement with the mine to continue to purchase that silver, so that as more and more people buy crowd units, we're able to continue the hedge. 
And that's a pretty powerful model, especially when you think about the performance of the existing alphas in the market today. Yeah, well, right. It's not just speculative is the thing. There is real tangible value underpinning this and you're leveraging that. So there is a floor, right? You can't completely lose your hat on the investment. There is a floor to the value based on silver. And of course, you're also rewarding people then for their data. So that's the other side of the equation here is that, and, and ChatGPT really, I think is the is the most emblematic of this phenomenon because again they did build their large language model scraping data from all over creation uh, from all these different writers who've written things and so some of your data is probably in there but there was no guardrail there was no protection and i can tell you the data is being bought and sold like till till you know there's no tomorrow right now it's all over the place it's a wide open market because there can be value into all of that so you know what you're doing is really putting a stake in the ground here and building a new foundation and offering people this securitized asset, which also happens to be a functional unit to run things. And that's what I had said in one of those shows uh, earlier this year when uh, we had a couple of your other colleagues on. We talked about how it's kind of like you are buying a server at Amazon and you're actually paying for that server and then you get paid when that server does stuff, right? Yep. That's that's the interesting model here. It's like you're buying a racehorse and you make money when the horse makes money, that kind of thing. So you've exactly. taken that model and applied it to this ecosystem, which I think is the uh, is really interesting and really makes it a very attractive offering. What do you think? Yeah, what do you think? I mean, could you imagine? I mean, just what if Amazon Web Services, one smart guy, and they said, hey, boss, this cryptocurrency stuff looks kind of interesting, but, you know, we want to be regulated. So why don't we've got all the money in the world? Why don't we just securitize uh, our monthly rates? And then, heck, you know, you're, you're spending all this money sending a, something into the sky with a rocket. What if we just backed it with a, with a real asset, kind of like the U.S. dollar used to be? I mean, mm -hmm. that's kind of common in our, in our mindset. People are looking at us going, their mind's blown. And you're like, well, if you look at American history prior to 1917, this is pretty much commonplace. <laughs> so, you know, we just kind of took the best from history and took a little bit, stole a little bit of the concepts from what, what was appealing about cryptocurrency, kind of removed kind of the Ponzi scheme-esque portion of it, right. you know, followed, followed the law and, and, and went running to the SEC and did it the right way. Well, and folks, we're seeing out there what happens when the government just prints $4 trillion out of thin air. Gas prices double. You know, here in uh, we're in Gibsonia, Pennsylvania, and on July 4th, Sheets had this big campaign. It's a gas station, uh, you know, a little store, et cetera. And they're all over the place where all their gas was $1.77.6, so $17.76, which is basically half price. Wow. Okay. And I drove from here up to Butler, PA for the Butler County Fair on July 4th. And every sheets I went by was either inundated with cars all waiting in line to get gas or was out of gas. Wow. All right. So that program went absolute freaking gangbusters. And what does yeah. that tell you? That tells you that inflation is hurting people. And so this is also a deflationary asset, right? Because you buy it and you can't sell it for cash for, I think, a year is what the terms are. So th there's another compelling reason why this approach is so important. It's because this is a hedge against inflation. It's something tangible. It's something real that you can invest in. And it's now secured. Right, Sean? 100%. It's collateralized. And I think that is something that a lot of people say, well, that's unique. And I and I just have to be honest. No, it's not unique. Uh, it's been done for thousands of years. We just kind of put on the normal hat and just went back to what worked. And I think that's what a lot of a lot of uh, listeners will, will get. I, the biggest thing I want you all to understand out there as you listen to this is number one, please listen. You are a data tycoon. You've been mm -hmm. a data tycoon for years. It wasn't until guys like this gentleman here that came along and started telling you about the importance of data. Your data is a raw material. It's being synthesized. It's being refined. And it is literally powering the global economy today. Yeah. You right. need to take control of it. And then when you do take control of it, you want to put it into an ecosystem that controls that data for you, where you're getting paid in your sleep for it with a currency that's collateralized by a precious metal. This yeah. is not, un. this is, look, when it's 
honest work for honest, honest pay for honest work. So what your, your data is working for you. Well, back in the day when, you know, as, as late as 19, you know, I think still, I think the, the dime still had silver in the seventies in it. People were melting it down because it was actually worth more in silver than it <laughs> dime itself. But I think it was like That's a, a 40, bad cents or something. And so people are melting them. But the point I'm trying to make it to everybody listening to this is yeah, there is a, there's a movement coming and that movement is let's go back to what works. Yeah. That's a really good point. Well, folks, we've got a podcast bonus segment coming up next for how you can get involved in what you can do. We'll be right back. You're listening to DM Radio. All right, folks, back here on DM Radio. Time for the podcast bonus segment with Sean Michael Bram, CEO of CrowdPoint Technologies. Their Vogon blockchain is now out there in the real world doing cool stuff, and it's securitized with $20 million in silver, which I think is just so cool. But, Sean, you know, when, when I think about the future of work and when I think about how it's hard to find help these days. Like it's an old expression, it's hard to find good help. Well, it's it's even harder now to find good help. And there are lots of reasons for that. I mean, COVID had a psychological impact on people. It had a very real business financial impact on people, especially small businesses. That was uh, not a very positive thing for, for most people, I think. Uh, and it's caused some real trouble. And uh, I think that one of the really cool aspects of your ecosystem that I got into like from day one, when you told me what you've done, is thinking about crowd ownership of assets, of stores, of music venues, of of any number of different things, and how you're facilitating that. Because if someone feels that they own something and they own part of the company, even if it's 1%, even if it's a half percent, that's a lot different than owning nothing. I'll make a quick analogy here. We're going to be in Austin next week, and I will definitely go by my favorite restaurant, Home Slice. And I remember uh, one day asking the, the waitress, he said, you know, we always come here and the service is always fantastic. Why is that? And she said, we pull our tips. And I was like, well, look at that. So individuals don't just get their own tips. The, all the servers pull their tips and they share them. And what does that do? It facilitates collaboration. It facilitates empathy. It facilitates darn good customer service. And I see that reflecting through your business model with future entities that will leverage this blockchain such that you'll be able to easily, and there, you know, the Jobs Act has enabled this. There are laws and regulations that have opened the door to this kind of thing, to where we can co-own businesses in a very real, tangible, and auditable way. Yep. And guess what? When you have that level of transparency and that true co-ownership, you're going to get more people wanting to work. You're going to get people wanting to work overtime because they know that they're fostering goodwill for themselves and for others. But what do you think, Sean? No, you're exactly right. That, that that has been the premise from the very beginning is that that's why we called the company CrowdPoint. It's the tipping point when the crowd gets involved. Uh, the tipping points we can see is, you know, my favorite is Tiananmen Square. Yeah. One person started doing the right thing. Wow. We we announced this strategy. Uh, I announced it through a good friend of mine, Dr. Rashid Batar, who recently passed. Uh, and but we his 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 following came over and we're we able to garner a thousand people. So you now you you've got people selling on this common back end. If you go to imedia.market, you can see people telling their stories about, about, about someone saying, don't click on things to protect your children. I've got this guy named Eli that, 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 that is one of the world's renowned speakers talking about, uh, you know, the, the value of, of how to conduct better sales. I've got someone selling a, a board game. Uh, you go to advancedmedicine.market. You've got Woo Bamboo. You've got uh, Vikias. You've got all these small, tiny micropreneurs that are able to now come together and it appears to be a Amazon, but it actually is decentralized. When you click on the product, you actually leave a centralized right. and you go back out to the edge. But because it's on a common back end, uh, distributors and, and, and shippers, everybody gets paid and settled instantly in the payment rails. It's a far more efficient way of commerce. But most importantly, most importantly, the human identity is recognized in that process and they create buying groups from human identities. They get reimbursements. It gets put back into their, their bank account. We, we're making some big announcements about banks, which I can't say yet. My, my president will tell me to keep quiet because he's been doing a, a ton of work with these banks and a huge partner. I can tell you, we partnered with M-Bank, M-B-A-N-Q, great company, really great guys, Lars and Vlad. 
uh, great partners. Uh, we're doing some great things in banking. We're doing some great things right now in Poland. So there's some really cool things going on. And it all goes back to the first concept. And that is that concept of pooling together. Times are tight. Times are tough. I, I, everybody's noticing how much you're, I don't know if you've looked at your bill when you get your food recently. It's ridiculous yeah. how much you're spending on food right now. And yeah. then there's food plants burning down all over the place. And it's just crazy. And so I, I want to re-echo what you're saying. And I think your heart's dead on is, you know, there, it's time when we just, we got to quit screaming at each other and come together and start helping each other out. Yeah, and uh, I want to correct myself. I said uh, somehow I got EMF in my head. NFT, NFT is non-fungible tokens, right? That's how you protect the ID in the marketplace is that someone's purchasing history and preferences are all loaded onto the NFT that floats around in the marketplace. So that's the way data can find data and the user can find relevance, right? Exactly. I mean, it's true. The human identity should be non-fungible, <laughs> right? It's a lot more non-fungible than a chimpanzee with a pair of sunglasses right yeah. <laughs> it's not it's it's the, the human identity is non-fungible and so once you make the human identity non-fungible and you build an entire ecosystem on it and you collateralize it with something pure like silver you're off to something special yeah it's really good stuff well folks look these guys up online crowdpoint technology sean brim he's on linkedin he writes all the time on linkedin you and if get i can to... make a shameless plug just to yeah. the you really want to get in, just go to crowdunit.com. That's C-R-W-D unit, U-N-I-T dot com, crowdunit.com. And uh, have your sent a chance at uh, following the Jobs Act, which we are real, real thankful for both the Democrats and Republicans to actually get a great bill through. It was really exciting and <laughs> right. benefited as well. So really please join us there. That's good stuff, folks. Well, you've been listening to DM Radio. Send me an email, info at dmradio.biz. That comes straight to me. And uh, I'm in the crowd unit thing. I got 5,000 crowd units myself. So I believe in this. I'm not just uh, doing this because I like these guys. I think they're really, really onto something. And we need a new foundation. We need a foundation that we can all understand and co-own if we want to and have some security underneath it so it's not just speculative. But folks, crowdunit.com. We'll talk to you next time. You've been listening to DM Radio. 